Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Wrestling with the Future. I'm your host, Psychic Meet Angelo, joined by my co-host, as always, Dan the Man Sebastiano, and Mike, marvelous Mike the Movie Maker Messier. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. That's Good. it. Good. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, another great interview. I another put great you show. over like a million dollars, and you give me good. Hey, not not everybody can be as good on the mic as you are, Angelo. Brother, you kidding me? Come on, I could teach. I'll smarten you up, Mikey. <laughs> teach I'm the doing, kid how it's done. Well, Angelo, I'm doing great. We've got some exciting news coming up in the weeks ahead for Wrestling with the Future podcast. Oh boy, uh, Life Lessons with Mikey Messier on the channel and distribution uh, podcast is is coming out well, and. Um, also, would like to mention that I'm wearing a Shad Gaspard uh, T-shirt. Uh, Shad, as we know, passed away a few weeks ago. Yeah. And uh, I got this through Collar and Elbow, which is Al Snow's uh, company. So a little tip of the cup to the late, great, crime time tag team champion, uh, Shad Gaspard. Yeah, I raised my glass to that one, brother. Speaking of, of T-shirts, uh, my uh, fine new Randy Mania shirt arrived today. <laughs> Nice. Looks good. Of course, everyone, uh, Randy Hogan, of course, is uh, is the country's uh, number one Hulk Hogan impersonator. Had him on the show with Bill After a couple weeks ago. And Randy was nice enough to sport me one of his shirts. It's a fine-looking red shirt. And uh, speaking of fine-looking, we've got a very handsome young man joining us tonight. Good-looking guy. Tall, dashing, dapper. Uh, been around the business since he was just a wee toddler. And uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about... Do you guys know anything about our guest tonight before I get into this? I do. Okay. I know well, a lot about Sam Houston. He, uh, he's been around a long time, brother. In a career spanning nearly three decades. Actually, over three decades. Sam Houston has paved the path the most certain success... That would have made him a household name and almost did. Professional jealousy and personal setbacks sidelined Sam's career for just a short time. But like the warrior he is, he fought the good fight to personal success and he overcame the odds. In a daily walk to victory every day, Sam Houston is a true success story. Would you please welcome, gentlemen, to the show the iconic, the legendary... Sam Houston. Oh, wow, man. Thank you so very much, you guys. It really means a lot to me, you know, uh, to be recognized like that. It's really awesome. I have had a hard road, and I have had a long path, and I am three days older than dirt, and I wouldn't trade not a minute of it for nothing. Brother, and I mean this from the... The the, the bad and the ugly has made me the man that I am today. But I, I mean this when I tell you, God bless you, really. I mean that. And there's a reason you're here tonight. I have to tell you why you're here. Okay. A couple, week, a couple weeks ago, I had the charming and lovely and very talkative Karen McDaniel as my guest. Oh, super. She's awesome. I love Karen. And I Karen put you over like a million dollars. <laughs> and when she did, I got off the phone and I said, that's my next guest, Sam Houston. I'm going to find him somewhere. I'll get him. <laughs> well, 
Wahoo and I were tremendous friends. I mean, I've known Wahoo since I was probably like a, a kid before grade school, you know? And <laughs> Wahoo had been playing football and wrestling. Oh, my gosh. I've known Wahoo for quite a while. And Karen, oh, they're just awesome people. I love them to death. But let me tell you, yeah. can you do you mind if I break into a story real fast? Brother, we're all about the stories here. Okay. All right. I was probably, I don't know, five, four or five years old. You know, in uh, Oklahoma City, they used to do the television, the TV taping early on Saturday mornings, you know, and then get the tapes all ready and stuff. Anyway, uh, the wrestlers dressed in the newsroom area with the desk and the typewriters and stuff. And But the that. only concessions or everything was in the break room. And, you know, they got their, their tights on. They don't want to be walking the halls in their gear and everything where all the fans are, you know, because they're, they're off to the studio, too. So they got the break room. So I went and Wahoo gave me 50 cents to go get him a Coke. So I went and got him a soda, those old timey sodas where, where you pull the bottle out, you know? Oh yeah. And I kept, yeah, I kept the, the, the deal was I kept the change, the 15 cents. That was, you know, for running, you know, <laughs> Wahoo remembered that for years. When I was a teenager, I'd pick him up at the airport and uh, drive him around the territory for Watts when he'd come in for UWF and stuff. And then when I started wrestling, I got to the Carolinas and everything. Me and Wahoo were really great friends. Uh, and I got to tell you, uh, that this ass whipping I got from him. I mean, I, I was the one that instigated it. Um, <laughs> And I laughed the whole time I was getting it. It was a TV taping. And it was in uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina. Brian Adidas picked me up. I met him in Charlotte at the hotel. When he opened his trunk up, I see golf clubs in the back. And I said, who's golf clubs? And he said, oh, they're Chiefs. You know, he let me go play golf today. Bars, clubs, and play golf. So I was like, okay. And I was real cool with my bag. I didn't know, you don't want to mess nothing up or anything. Then I get to the TV and I, I got to work. We got to work. It was me and Brian and we got to work against Wahoo and Tully. Wahoo had turned and was Tully's partner. So there's a little hallway that leads out right before. And you, you both, uh, both, both sides use the same hallway to walk out. Wahoo and Tully were already in the hallway when, when Brian and I walked out to the ring first, and as I passed Wahoo, I said, Hey chief, I'm sorry about your nine iron. I'm going to have that fixed for you. (laughs) (laughs) And I walked out to the ring. Oh my God. That man chopped me from here to eternity. I had handprints on my back. He was hitting me in the chest so hard. Damn, you know, we, we heard, we heard stories on this show, you know, guys were trying to explain to us, like how big Wahoo's hands were and, you know, and, and how hard he like actually chopped you. Yeah. Like, was that, was that a shoot? Was that for shoot with him? Yes. Yes. Oh, man. And it should be with everybody, you know, and if, and I'm going to say this real, real quick, I'm gonna, it should be with everybody. Um, if you can't handle it, go back to flipping burgers. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is a physical sport. 
Exactly. You know, people people get up in people's face now and oh, all that acrobatic blah blah and you know and and the fans make sense with all that, but you know those same fans aren't going to get up in Ole Anderson's face or Johnny Valentine's face and say hey you're fake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, try you know it I mean? with Johnny Valentine, sure. <laughs> yeah, shoot, Spider Galento, I watched him grab a arm on a guy, uh, some uh, this guy that was, it was a it was outside on the sidewalk. I don't know how Spider Galento did it, but I mean, jerk this guy's uh, shoulder clean out socket just with one little one little twist. It's like wow, it ain't hard little, to do. You know, brother, if I you know how to do how it, to it's not hard to do. Yeah, it's amazing. I learned easy. how to wrestle. I learned how to wrestle in the dressing rooms growing up. You know, yeah. I was like five, six years old, and you got Danny Hodge coming over there and grabbing you in a, a shoot front face lock. And telling you how to do it, and you know, blah blah. But you know, when you pick these things up, I was arm dragging kids in the first grade when I'd get in a fight. <laughs> I know, should I tell thought, everyone that uh, you know Sam talks about growing up in the business, and he literally did. If you don't know, Sam Houston's father is the legendary, iconic one half of the Kentuckians, Grizzly Smith. Also, by the way, one hellacious booker a great booker legendary booker in fact uh also sam has a a brother and sister that are pretty you know they made a name for themselves too i i should say uh robin rock and robin and uh and your brother what's his name jake somebody yeah yeah jake the snake yeah Yeah. i yeah some jake some jake the snake guy no, so we should tell, tell people that, you know, yeah, you, you have a, a hell of a pedigree, my friend. You really, really do. Uh, yeah, my brother's got, like, the best mind ever for this business. I mean, uh, everybody says that I'm not tooting the horn for him or nothing like that. I'm just stating facts. My sister <clears throat> was one of the greatest ladies Heavy or oh, ladies heavyweight, yeah. Oh God, she's gonna kill me for that. Ladies, <laughs> Robin's not that heavy, y'all. She's only about 130 pounds or something. Yeah. But yeah, uh, but she was, you know, she didn't come through Moolah's camp or anything else. Uh, Nelson Royal, the guy that uh, came out of retirement. Nelson Royal had been a world heavyweight champion, junior heavyweight champion. Yes. For the NWA for years after Danny Hodge. And Nelson, actually, when we were small children, that's where I learned to ride a horse. Robin and I performed in a couple of rodeos and stuff up there. We chased the pig, you know, and you got to drag it across the line with their tail. We didn't win. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but when we were small kids. I watched uh, Katie Diamond Diamond Lil knock oh, sure. a horse out. Yeah, I watched her knock a horse out on his place. So Nelson, Nelson, our family goes back a long way. Well. Nelson came out of retirement to tag up with me to teach me how to be a ring general because you had yeah. Magnum and Dusty, Magnum and Dusty doing their thing. You had the four horsemen. So they need, and I was their number one target for a long time. Oh, sure. So Nelson came out and he started helping me to train me to be a ring general. Back That's then. remarkable. Well, uh, yeah. Well, I'll well, tell you after, what, brother, you know, if, if you're going to get broke in, that's the yeah. way to do it. I mean, it doesn't get yeah. any better than Nelson Royal. Well, now, yeah, now okay. Sam, now, how long? 
Please, how, how, please, let me take it one step further, one step further. So when my sister decided it was her time to, to break in the business, mm-hmm. instead of going through Moolah's training camp or anything like that, Nelson Royal trained my sister. Right. You know, so she yeah. had, she had, and so she was the first woman's world champion of that sort that would go out there and give it to you like the guys. Yeah. Because that's how she was trained, you know? Oh, absolutely. Now, how, so, uh, how long was, uh, was your, uh, your partnership with Nelson? I know you guys were in mid Atlantic, right? Yeah, we were in mid Atlantic, I guess. So that would be what, uh, our partnership probably 84, 85, 86. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, somewhere around there. I mean, I got to be honest with you. Sometimes dates for me are kind of hard. I went 19 years drinking three-fifths a day uh, of alcohol a day. I've got almost 11 years sober now, folks. So, um, you know, that's not an issue with me anymore. Uh, I I don't mind people drinking around me, but I don't partake in it. And um, I have the attitude of, hey, you know, you do you, let me do me, and we're fine. Exactly. Uh, Well, that's why, Sam, at the beginning of the show, you know, I said what I did about, you know, it's a a daily victory every day. You know, it really is. And, uh, you know, and I I truly meant what I said. You know, uh, you're a success story. You know, a success well, comes in, in, you know, in lots of shapes and sizes and, uh, and, and by various mechanisms, you know, um, certainly, you know, professionally you had great success, but your personal success, the human story is far more interesting than anything you could have done in the ring because there were a lot of times that you shouldn't have been here, but, uh, for whatever reason, you know, the big the the big referee in the sky decided, you know, you worth keeping you around. No, yeah, it wasn't my time yet. I, you know, I'll tell you, um, okay, the first time that I, when I was 17 years old, I passed away for two minutes on the operating table with my, my getting my tonsils taken out. Uh, it was a horrible thing, you know, and, and that's a long story. Um, but after that, I was in tornadoes. I've been in floods. I've been in fires. I've been uh, earthquakes, uh, hurricanes. I've been through all the disasters. I've lost and had to start over so many times. I've been paralyzed, tw- partially paralyzed twice, but even partially paralyzed. When you have something that don't move and you want to move it, you you know you get, you dig down deep. You see oh, what yeah. you got. You know. Oh, I understand, I, brother. You know, I, I, I absolutely I understand nine months in pain. Well, then I used that. I, I came through that. I started my career over again with the help of Charlie, Charlie Norris. Uh, absolutely. We went, and yeah. After I was paralyzed, I went to Japan five times. I was almost eaten by cannibals in New Guinea twice. And I'm talking about they were carrying me off to the big black pot when the Australian army got there and started shooting people down with rubber bullets and beating them in heads. I'm not playing. I mean, I've been able to, I opened up for the who at the world's biggest party. I mean, I've done a whole lot of, but it wasn't just me. He put me in these places. Yeah, to see how to handle things, because what my goal, my, my thing in life is to help my brothers and sisters out there. You know, everybody's going through something. I've been through it all. 
And if I can help, I want to help. Because the most important thing to me now at this point in my life is to make sure that all the people around me have heard his word, you know, the Almighty's. You know? Absolutely. Um, and, and I want to say this, you know, folks, if you're not saved, you know, I'd like to see you. And if I don't see you before, I'd like to see you in heaven. So get right with the man. Get right with your your maker. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, Look, any any time we have the opportunity to have somebody, you know, uh, you forward their testimony and witness, I'm all about it. I'm yeah, all about I, it. Absolutely. I want to give it all to you. You know, I want to give you the prison years. I went through check this. I did five years, five five hard years in prison. You know, for uh, DWIs. Oh, yeah, but yeah. Um, I tried to hang myself. Both nooses broke. You know, wow. He had me stay alive for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. And my reason is to help others. You know, right now with all this crisis and everything going on right now, it's been a heck of a ride for me. I get up here oh, to, yeah. uh, I'm in North Carolina right now. I drove up here to North Carolina to fly out to uh, Ohio to do an event in Ohio because a month or so earlier, uh, I was the only uh, name on the card. And I guess, I, I don't know if word got around, I don't know what happened, but they hadn't had an, a, a box office that big in over three years. Uh, they ran out of chairs. People were hanging from the rafters. They had to stop selling tickets, you know, so uh, they were bringing me back. And I, I can't wait to get back. Sam, was that that show in Dayton? Um, I'm not sure. It was uh, Circleville something. Yeah, okay. Yeah, those, yeah. those guys were awesome. You know, I did a seminar there. They they said that was the best seminar they'd ever they'd, they'd ever seen. Well, of course they're going to say that to my face. They probably you know. Oh yeah. I get oh mad. yeah. That, I get that that's the one I'm talking about. Yeah, it's right outside of Dayton. Um, yeah. Yeah, I heard about that. I heard about that. Yeah, yeah it, it was awesome. You know, and I and I was able to do what I do and do what I love doing for yeah. people that enjoyed me doing it for them. Well, Sam, you know? let me ask you a question. When you're when you're doing this for so long, is there does the spark ever wear off? Do you ever do you ever say to yourself like, you know, I'm I'm like over this now. I want to do something different. If that hadn't happened yet. Well, you know, I mean, been, you know, it takes. I, I think we. You know, there was a time. There was a time that yeah, I thought my my stuff didn't stink and everything like that and they and i would work these independent shows and i didn't I, there was a while there i did not because of my addiction i didn't care i just knew i was there to be the main event blah 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 so if i had yeah. a few beers or a few drinks beforehand i really didn't care i wasn't out i wasn't gonna go, go out there and give it my all it wasn't yeah. until i was in prison to where i found myself wanting to give it my all and what happened here uh, in prison, I was at Fort, uh, no, uh, Camp J. Levy Dabadee in Pineville, Louisiana. I'd gotten, uh, when I first got my time from the judge, um, they sent me straight to a maximum security disciplinary camp. The worst of the worst wow. kind of places, maximum security. This is a place for all the screw-ups. 
Yeah. You know, and they put you in a dorm, 90, 96 people per dorm. You know, and I'm going to tell you, anybody that thinks you can't get nothing in prison, you can get whatever you want. Absolutely. You know? um, Bet your ass. Anyway, so uh, I got in a big fight with three guys. Uh, gosh, I got to say this. I give praise to the maker for because I knew I, if I went down, I wasn't getting back up. You know, and I yeah. went through two of those guys when the guards got there, and I was going for the other one when the guards come in. <laughs> well, they had sold wow. my commissary. Yeah, they brought all my commissary back to me. The, the warden didn't know who I was at the time because after everybody found out in East Baton Rouge Parish who I was, I got in seven altercations in one week. Now, oh, my God. I didn't have to strike anybody, and that's what saved me. I was able yeah. to grab a hold. And make them cry. Yeah. And when I say make them cry, make them scream, holler, and cry. You yeah. Know, that's going to deter that next one. Is know? that something you found so, that people want to try you out and you know see like what you what this wrestler's all about? Oh yeah, oh yeah. You get stupid. I mean, I will, well, yeah, you get stupid people come around doing <laughs> stupid things. Yeah. Making stupid remarks. I mean, well, the jail's <laughs> full of stupid people. Yeah, but that's when you, you know, that's when you grab them and make them cry. Yeah. Well, anyway, after all that, uh, you know, so, oh, gosh, I got in that problem there, you know, and I went through that. But I knew if it was going down, I wasn't getting back up. Yeah. You know? Well, I'll tell you, you what, know, brother, we got a couple guys here that uh, that want to ask you some questions. So I'm going to turn it over to Dan the man. All right, Dan. All right, Sam, I, I'm curious. We've mentioned on the show we've had numerous guests, and they've the narrative has always come down to the old saying that is often attributed to Eddie Graham that the best the best characters, the best wrestlers are the real you turned up to 11. I'm curious, watching you come out and the dance and the, the, the moniker, where does the line blur? How did, how did the Sam Houston character come about? He's not a character. Sam Houston is me, Michael Smith. So like you said, turned up to 11, you know, doing what I love doing, riding across the sky on the edge of that lightning bolt, you know? <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Th- then, exactly. You know, I, was, I, was, I was very blessed. Growing up, like I said, I had the guys, you know, teaching me stuff in the dressing room when I was uh, – uh, when I was nine years old, I helped my Uncle Luke, Luke Brown. He was my dad's tag team partner. My, uh, Uncle Luke had come in, and he'd started refereeing Leroy McGurk. And to make extra yeah. money, he put the ring, brought the ring to the spot shows. So I was nine years old, and I was his ring crew, you know? And then when I was 12, I was getting to start, like, holding Dad's watch and keeping the mat, you know, keeping the time for the matches. And then every five, you know, five minutes gone by. Gary Michael for a 12, 13 year old kid, you know, and bringing the jackets back and stuff like that. And then, you know, running the ring crew myself, then getting to run all the music and then doing the announcing and stuff like that. And then, you know, then when it was time for me to break in, of course I had my tonsillectomy. I didn't make it. I come back. Um, I trained, I worked out. George Weingroff got in the ring with me twice. 
And I'm telling you, he stretched the crap out of me. (laughs) I came back for more. The second time he couldn't do it, you know, he couldn't do it like he did it before. He still did it. Yeah. And I I had the respect. Whole pile of potatoes there, right? Yeah. And then, uh, then I went down to Florida and Dusty started me off with Sam Houston or Michael, Mike Sam Houston. And uh, my first uh, match was against Charlie Cook. I heard he just passed. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. My condolences to the family. Um, but it was kind of weird. The, the I'm not from Texas. Uh, my dad's from Texas. My mom's from North Carolina. I was born in Tampa, Florida, uh, while dad and Uncle Luke were wrestling down there. And uh, after I was born, we we took off to Texas. But I lived in 21 places before uh, before I started first grade. 21 different areas of the country. But um, I was born in Tampa, and it seems really ironic that Sam Houston was born in Tampa, Florida, too. So that's isn't that interesting? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, look at it. Yeah, I've got so many parallels. You know, right. <laughs> I was almost eating my candles. Yeah. Twice I opened up for the Who twice. I sank the eight ball on the break twice one night. You know, (laughs) (laughs) looking at the looking at at Sam Houston, uh, both you and 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 the character. There's we've talked on the show before too about about wrestling and and certain moves, and there's certain moves that are very very hard to do well and very easy to do, make them look ugly and awful. And one of those is the bulldog. And I'll admit, Sam Houston had the, one of the prettiest bulldogs I've ever seen. Absolutely. Thank and, you. And I'm, I'm curious, how did how did you settle on that? Because that wasn't really a move I remember seeing before watching you in some of the earlier matches. Okay, well, the bull, okay. Jake, uh, Jake's DDT was a complete mistake. And it, it wow, did it get over? And wow, yep. what, a, what a deal. So anyway, I, I was working, and uh, we were up at Nelson's place. We were training. Uh, Nelson and I were working out with Ken Shamrock, getting him ready. Nice. So, yeah, yeah, th- that's back then. Well, Shamrock had this suplex that he wanted to try, and I'd been want- trying to figure out a way to surprise people with the bulldog. And Nelson and I were talking, and like I said, made mention of earlier, I used to do a little horse ride and a rodeo, and I learned how to rope up there at Nelson's and everything else. So uh, I learned how to bulldog. So I was thinking I want to bulldog a guy the same way you bulldog a steer. You know, you cut, you're you on the move. Yeah. Uh, you're jumping off the horse onto the steer. Well, so the, to be on the move while you're doing it, you got to be coming off the ropes. Exactly. You know? you know, and you can't hit them, you know, straight on or front to back. You don't want to hit them straight on. You want to hit them sideways. When they're turned toward you, that way you hook that head and you, I mean, they got to go. Yeah. And it's throwing the left leg up in the air. That way, when they come down, they're coming down on them. You know? Exactly. Right. Okay, cool. But anyway, yeah. Thank you, though. I I do appreciate that. Everybody else tries to take my thing, you know? And I guess I feel, I should feel honored, you know, uh, that they do. Honored that they want to, um, uh, you know, try my, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, I'd be honored if they did it right. Yeah. yeah if they're yeah. doing it right. <laughs> it's like, I watch every wrestler out there. Okay. Try to give, uh, do the DDT. 
you know, and it just, oh, it just irks me. If you don't know how to do it, don't do it. Exactly. Yeah. If you don't know how to do it, don't. Yeah. That's like, you know, know, it's funny, Sam, because um, Jimmy Valiant just told us basically the same thing just, uh, what, like a week ago. We had we had Jimmy on the show, handsome Jimmy Valiant, and God, he's yeah, he's great. He he could have talked for another three hours. I had to cut them off at the two hour mark. Um, <laughs> but I I love Boogie. I mean, I know Boogie a long time, but he yeah, basically said the same thing you did. You know, uh, it, if you don't know, if there's something you don't know, do one of two things. Number one, ask. Number two. Don't do it till you ask. There you go. Makes a lot of sense, you know. Uh, guys, okay, and I, and I noticed this in the dressing rooms now. As so opposed when the dressing, you know, dressing rooms where I broke in. When I broke in, you kept your mouth shut and your ears open. You know. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, and we walk around. You know, you're new to the new guy, and you walk around. You shake hands with everybody. You introduce yourself to everybody. Everybody now, I've, I've been to some of these independent shows and stuff like that, and guys all get all huddled together over there off in corners or along the walls. You know, uh, there's no uh, camaraderie or, or anything like that. There's no respect given. Nobody, you know, and I, I look at that and, and I, I think, oh, oh please. I, and I ask him at places like the CACs and stuff, can I get in that battle royal? Because I'm going to teach them some manners. <laughs> and you know what, Sam? I, thank you for saying that. I was in a locker room recently, and I got to tell you, no one ever noticed that anyone walked in. They all had their heads down, their earphones in, and their little phones going, you know, their games or whatever the hell they were that's not the locker room I'm used to seeing. No, and then check this one out. Then you go to some of these other uh, other ones. I did one in East Texas, and I walk in there with Rod Price, you know, and uh, me and oh, Rod. Uh, okay, well, let, first let me tell you how me and Rod, uh, Rod and I used to wrestle, I mean, uh, wrestle against each other all the time. After I got out of jail, Rod and I have been really good friends. Now we go to church together. Well, uh, we were down in South Louisiana, and we went to uh, went went to Luke Hawks has a uh, his his group there uh, Wildcat Wrestling. Yes. So uh, uh, Rod and I went. You know, we had khaki shorts on, tennis shoes. We're just going to watch the guys. You know, see if we can give them pointers. Well, I I got in the ring and I showed him a couple of things. Well, when I did, a couple you know, this one guy was snickering. So I was like, okay. Well, I didn't have my stuff, and I wasn't going to do anything. So two nights later, we went back, and this time I brought my boots and my gear. And I got in that. Well, he pulls up. He backs up. He was in a Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office unit. He was a deputy sheriff. Oh, now, lovely. this is a man. Yeah, this is a man that needs to know how to protect himself. He needs to know what to do. You know, people's lives are in his hands, Right. Exactly. Well, there sure. were there were seven seventeen people in the class. When they all got there, I finished smoking my cigarette and everything. And I stretched out a little bit, got in the ring, and everybody else got in there. All seventeen of them, and that's the first one I pointed at, and I said, "You're first. <laughs> and he said, "What?" And I said, "I said, look, I said I, pu- I saw you pull up in your in your unit. 
I said, you're a cop. I said, you're supposed to know how to take care of everything. I said, I want you to come at me with everything you've got. I said, everything you've got, give it all to me. I love it. Yeah. And uh, I made him scream, holler, cry, and tap out seven times. <laughs> That's okay. beautiful. So Rod Mike. calls me over the corner. Rod calls me over the corner and he said, Sam, he said, a couple of them other guys are kind of snickering because of the way you're handling him. He said, you need to teach them too. <laughs> so I made all of them, all 16 guys, at least scream, cry, or tap out three times. That's wonderful. <laughs> you know, but, you know, you, I, and I'm not trying to be Billy Joe badass or nothing like that, but, what I'm, uh, you know, it's all technique. It's all skills, you know? Exactly. And, and I got news I'm, for you. Those technique and those skills will save your ass in a real shoot fight, brother. Yeah, they did in prison for me. For I, When I got out of prison, I, I went to WrestleMania. The first person I went after was Dean Malenko. I went and shook his hand. And thanked him. I told him his Texas clover leaf saved me several times. You know, there when somebody's go. running up on you, you drop down, ankle pick them, boom, shove them on their ass, and then step right in. And you're right there for that clover leaf. You step over, you start screaming and crying. You know? Yeah. Oh, I think. Mike Messier, go ahead. You're up, brother. Well, Sam, I, I know quite a bit about your career. The uh, the matches for the Mid Atlantic title with Crusher Khrushchev, the feud with Black Bart. But uh, there was a point in your career. I think it was 1987 to 1991. You were with the World Wrestling Federation at that time. Uh, Jake the Snake, your your brother or half brother, and your younger sister Rock and Robin. The three of you were all kind of under one roof, and I guess. Really just thinking about the relationship with your younger sister, was was she someone that you felt the need to protect from from some of the, the, the male wrestlers, or could she just handle herself? Did you two, did you have she, a bond? She, I mean, she handled, yeah, she handled herself, but I was there. No, I was there to protect. Remember one night in Baltimore. Baltimore was really hard to get out of, and, and we, were staying at, we were staying at the hotel down the road, the Marriott. And I remember one night there, uh, the the fans were unruly. I mean, the, on that street there, there could be three, four thousand people there. And uh, so I one night we had to get to the hotel. We couldn't get to the, they couldn't get the van to us or anything else. So I told her, I said, grab hold of my belt loops, and I said, keep your head down. We're going through. And I had to fight two blocks up that road to get to the to the Marriott. But I got her there. Then I turned around, went back. And got our bags and had to do the, go through the same thing. But yeah, I kind of uh, I I did what I could. But my, I must tell you, my sister did for herself as well. How is and your I, sister doing brought. these days? How is Rock and Robin doing? Because she yeah. was someone that she would she would have done so well these days with all the women wrestlers. She would fit right in against you know Britt Baker or Alexis Bliss or anybody. How is she doing? I believe so too. I, be, I believe so too. Um, I don't know. Uh, right now, she's uh, I guess uh, doing some um, flipping homes down there in uh, South Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Cool. So, but yeah, she's doing well. And um, going back to to your own career, Sam, I remember, like I said, the the matches with Black Bart, and and you always reminded me of a of a Barry Windham. You were tall. You were six foot three. 
you know, age 19, 20, 21, you're wrestling for the Mid-Atlantic title, and you had a great match with Crusher Khrushchev at Starrcade 85, and then the match where you won the Mid-Atlantic title from Crusher Khrushchev, I think, was on TBS Saturday night, and I believe yeah, the didn't, didn't, wasn't it the Road Warriors that came out and helped attack the Russians, and and you yeah, were able to... Yeah, pulled me and threw me back in the ring. When when uh, uh, Khrushchev threw me out of the ring, Animal come up, caught me, and threw me back into the ring on top of him. When and he came off the top rope, he had uh, come down, and uh, his knee went out on him. So he was oh. trying to get rid of me, get rid of me, get me out of the ring. So you know, uh, it, but Animal stopped that, and yeah, uh, he was out for nine months after that. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. Mikey, go ahead. I remember um, there was there was a, a moment in your career, Sam. The the first ever Great American Bash, nineteen eighty five, twenty seven thousand yeah. fans in Charlotte in an outdoor show, and uh, it was you, the Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez, another Wrestling with the Future alumnus, and uh, your tag team partner, a guy who's kind of been. Uh, lost a little bit to time. The Avalanche Buzz Tyler, I believe, and you fought right, three. Yeah. You fought three monsters: Abdullah the Butcher, uh, Konga the Barbarian, that we know is one of the powers of pain, and a former right. WWF champion, Superstar Billy Graham. And I believe it was a a rolling reverse cradle, if I'm not mistaken, that you got the pin. No, one, two, a, three. Small package. No, small, package. small package. Yeah, he picked me up to to slam me the first and slam me the first time when we went to pick me up again. I just held on, you know. <laughs> and I I gotta say Look, that that was a huge pop. Abdullah, okay, imagine Abdullah the butcher and me standing there. On, <laughs> let's give us like fifteen feet of, of between us or twenty feet between us. All right, what do you have? You have a great big tall skinny bowling pin. And a 16-pound ball over here, <laughs> or a 585-pound ball. Man, oh, gosh, I remember he hit me so hard with those tackles, knocking me. They were knocking me over the barricade security railing. I think I ended, ended up in second row run one time. <laughs> and I think after I won the match, I think it was a few seconds before I realized, oh, we won. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I was trying to get some wits about me. Uh, but, Incredible. You know, they were great. Yeah, they were great times. I remember sitting uh, at a Hooters restaurant in Charlotte, and uh, everybody was staring at me. And I was eating my sandwich, and I was hoping I didn't have nothing on my face. But at the time, they were showing a highlight reel. I didn't know there was ever a highlight reel of me like that that showed anywhere. But evidently, Hooters had one. Um <laughs> Funny, but oh, gosh, you know, but it it was cool up here in the Carolinas, you know, and and in in that time, it was it was awesome, you know. And then we went nationwide. That's when Crockett started, you know, with nationwide with the WCW, and then of course he sent it over to Turner and this one and that one and the other one. But oh gosh, what a great territory that could have been. Sam, got a question oh, for you. Here's here's one for you. Do you ever watch your matches back and critique yourself? I watch them back and I cringe when I land because it hurts <laughs> me. I just as much to get all over again. Um, I don't really critique myself because of, of, when I'm in the ring, 
I feel everything that's happening. I feel, you know, that's when I'm alive. I, uh, I know where I'm standing in the ring. I know where I'm, you know, I know my ring placement. I know everything around. I know what's on the, I know what's on the outside, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, so, oh gosh, do I, so I live, I believe in everything I do. I, I'm living what I'm doing. So I don't exactly. need to, I don't need to, I don't need to critique something that that's not real because it is real to me. It may not be real to anybody else or they can all yeah. think what they want. And I'm but it glad you said that me. because it, I, you led me back right where I, I thought you would. And that is the art. And we talk about it a lot on this show, the art of ring psychology and ring generalship. And I, if, if there's people, and I know we have a sizable audience, there's people who are watching this show that are just new in the business or have been in for a, you know, a short time. What's the one or two pieces of advice you'd give them regarding ring placement or ring generalship and the lost art of ring psychology, which I'm, that's like my pet peeve. Oh, well, I mean, you, first of all, you don't, you don't give everybody everything all at once, <laughs> you know, thank you. Thank you. You, you, you let, yeah. You, you, I mean, you're the one, you know, with the finger, you're the one with the carrot back in the way, let them come to it. That's first, you know, uh, second is, is don't act, be real. You know, don't be an actor. Don't be a character. You're not, you know, Oh, what about yeah. my gimmick or my character? I you want know, everybody to have... hear what he just said. I want everyone <laughs> to hear what he just said. Don't you know? Act. Yeah, don't act. Be real. Uh, you know, I went to me and Rod anyway. That story a while ago. Uh, when we when so Rod started booking me a little bit after I went through everybody helping get me get some shots for me. Right. So we went. And uh, I, I did an event in North or East Texas. But when we walked in there, there was nine guys with face paint and baseball bats with uh, barbed wire around it. And I just bust, busted out laughing. <laughs> and the, so, so then they said, well, what are you laughing at? You know, I guess they didn't know who I was. And I just, I just told them, I said, this ain't the biggest dressing room full of wood. I ever seen in my life, you know, if you ain't tough enough to take care of something, you got to have a baseball bat wrapped with Bob wire. You ain't much of a man. You exactly. know, I walked out of the dressing room and then I guess uh, the promoter come in there and told them boys who I was. <laughs> Cause they sure were kissing my butt after that. And then, it's remarkable. And then, you know, you, you, we're, we're all about preserving the history. Then I'm supposed to be in a tag match. Well, the guy that's my partner, he's going to be there, but he, you know, he wasn't really no help. And then Rod come up, he said, Sam, I'm going out to the ring with you. I said, how come? He said, because now they're talking about three people they're sending out there. I said, they can send whoever they want to. And I said, I got a chair. <laughs> Jeez. That's crazy. Well, yeah, you know, we're we're all about preserving the history and the integrity of the business. And, you know, and, and I'm glad that you're saying what you're saying, because, you know, there was an art to it. 
there was you know, a skill, and you know, now there's no skill. Everything's scripted, uh, almost verbatim, move for move. Now, mm -hmm. the the lost, you know, the and I, another thing we've talked about recently, the, the, me and the boys, you know, the lost art of the promo. Yeah, you know, yeah. you you were, uh, of course, you know, came up in a time where. You had to be able to work. You had to have a certain look. You had to be able to talk on the fly. That's it. You can't do that anymore, Sam. What happened, man? Well, they let it all get away from them. You know, you know what happened is it started going away. The, the business actually went from guys being on the road uh, seven nights a week, six and seven nights a week, working anywhere from... Uh, nine to 11 times, depending on how many times you work at TV. It went from that to always in the car and talking about the business. It went to that to wrestling every other Saturday night. Oh, and then what do we do? Well, we got this yes. worked out for, you know, you just got to follow along. They take all, they took all the business away. That way the promoters don't have to pay the money. Look at, look at how much a, a promoter pays like a first match now 20 bucks if the guy gets paid at all sometimes oh you're getting paid in hot dogs man yeah i, I mean, got news for you brother i know people and this is a shoot i know people that have paid the promoter for them to wrestle yeah you know I, that that's oh. yeah yep. yeah i they know want people that have actually that. paid promoters to wrestle you well, said I'm something i'm going to start a federation here in the carolinas and I'm gonna let everybody with a thousand dollars come up and get in the room. <laughs> you said something in, in in part of your answer, you said something that may have been lost on some people, but I picked up on it very quickly, in fact. The car rides. That's where you got your education, was in the car. Yeah. Right. That's where you got your psychology. And the beauty of it is everything that I heard in the car or everything that I hear after the event tonight, I can put it to work tomorrow night instead of having to wait two weeks or a month or, yeah. you know, I remember, oh, okay, I had what? I, I had my first hundred matches down in Florida in a three-month period of time. Yeah. My first yeah. hundred matches were in Florida in a three-month period of time from September the 13th and, and, until Christmas. Over okay. a, you know I, what? Over I, a I believe that. I believe every bit of that because when uh, now our friend... Guys, now you got guys. Now you got guys been in the business 15 years and haven't had 100 matches. I, and that's... I was just going to go there. You know, we had, a, we had our friend Magnum TA here uh, three weeks ago. Magnum was telling us when he was in Florida, uh, he had 500 matches within a six-month period. He yeah. said he was working every day. Double shots on Saturday, double shots on Sunday. Yeah, and then for TV, you're wrestling two times, maybe you know, sometimes yep. more than that. Depending. Exactly, Sam. Exactly. Exactly. So, see, what oh. scares me, Sam, is that we're slowly but surely and, and you know if you if you leave it up to some you know big federations they would abolish it all uh but it scares me that slowly but surely 
we're losing grasp of the wrestling that you and I know and love. Oh, yeah. Definitely, definitely. You got to look at it like this. Here's what they're trying to do. Here's what the manipulators and promoters are trying to do because this is their picture of their perfect world, right? So if he's the right. promoter, he can do, you know, little bitty guys coming up, you know, they're, they're, every little promoter with $3,000 wants to get on the microphone uh, and get out there and be Vince McMahon for a night, you know? Uh, he's setting up all the rules, blah, 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 blah. Well, then... Since he's setting up all the rules, the artist no longer holds the paintbrush if he's being told everything he's got to do. Yep. So he's no, you're taking perfect. you're taking you're taking that the art is away from the him. Perfect and analogy. It it. And then putting the, the trading the paintbrush in for the pen for whoever writes the checks. It goes to the exactly. goes to the writers versus bookers we're always talking about on the show. Yeah, I mean, if they've never been in the ring, who do you, okay, I I go back to this, Cowboy Bill Watts and Ole Anderson and guys like this, Wahoo McDaniels, that's when a sport was a sport, okay? Mm -hmm. When you start getting armchair quarterbacks involved that have never put on a pair of tights, never been in there, don't know what they're feeling, all they're trying to do is manipulate people. Now, we're manipulating people, too, as we're wrestling, but it's more of a physical Thing and the people get involved in our story. We're not dictating something. Yeah. We're feeding off of their emotions. So there's a difference between uh, somebody doing it for you or doing it the way they want it to go and then feeling the people and taking it the way it needs to go. Yeah. I love the fact that you just said that. I love that because Jimmy Valiant told us a week ago. Remember that, Mike Messier? Yep, yep. He was talking about having the power, Sam, that you have to be able to make some a girl, a girl in the front row, cry at will or have a guy in the front row just hate you or want to beat you or, or have some kind of feeling, emotional feeling toward you that they it's have that power. And yeah, that it's power is is all but missing. It's all it's gone. Yeah, the the story you were talking about in Baltimore, Sam, with the the crowd having to literally fight your way through a crowd. I mean, every, we've had numerous guests on the show that have told us stories about fans <laughs> jumping the barricade and physical altercations because there was that exactly. emotional connection that's been gone for years. Preach it, Dan. Yeah, I have been- Preach it. I have been in so many riots, uh, especially up, up up in Minnesota. My tag team partner for a while uh, in the late 90s, uh, Charlie Thunderblood Norris, big Indian boy, Chippewa Indian from Red Lake, Minnesota. Well, I'm an honorary yeah. member of his nation. And, I mean, the, when you talk about the Renegades, they know you're talking about Sam Houston, Charlie Thunderblood Norris. Mm-hmm. And they know that when we come to town, we take care of business. Well, we've had a, a few events up there in Red, around Red Lake in Bemidji, Minnesota. And the guys that we were wrestling were the, the Hollywood Hater and Nails, you know. Uh, and Nails wasn't on the play. I, oh, God. Nails come out of the ring one night and threw a chair across. And I, and I didn't want it going over the top of the ring and hitting somebody on the other side. So I reached, I ran, reached up and grabbed it. And caught it by the leg. And it was like one of those Fonzie moments, you know, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
So I drop it down and I fold it up. I was like, yeah, okay, come on, you big SOB. Well, you started throwing <laughs> chairs. Chairs through the arena. Well, it wasn't long before the, I mean, the riot started. You know, and, and so I've been in a few, in a few riot situations like that up there. You know, it's it's real dangerous, but that's the emotion that happens. The funniest thing I saw was a little eight year old girl went and ran, and she put fifty cents in the coke machine, and she come through that coke, that full coke can, and it hit some fellow on the front row right in the ear. And this wasn't no little guy. This was like about a four hundred pound Red Lake Indian fella. And he went down to his knee holding that ear. Oh, my God. Like, wow, that little girl got some arm to her. You know? Oh, my God. But, yeah, people do get emotionally involved. Like, in Baltimore, Bart and I, Bart and I had a match. We had a match in Baltimore. And then afterward, the State Athletic Commission tried to physically stop us. We beat them up, too. You know, uh, that match was over 30 years ago, and people come today, man, I was there. You know, but we left it all out there. We'd been the the, the event before there in Baltimore. Bart and I had wrestled, and we were uh, uh, semi semifinal. So then they booked Baltimore again, and me and Bart are in the second match now. And so I'm like, well, we went from the semifinal to the second match. Yeah. I said, how do I follow that, you know? And I got told, follow it the best way you can, baby. Well, me and <laughs> Bart went in there, and we left everything in there. I, when I tell you the people did not holler, they, they they sat there silent the whole rest of the show. They they rose up. They gave Ric Flair a small round of applause, you know, when he came there. But they didn't weren't screaming and hollering. They didn't scream hollered nothing like they did for i mean it reached epic proportions for, for us during our match and yeah. after that it was like oh you know just you know people milling around they wasn't worried about anything they had already been fulfilled they'd seen it all and me and bart weren't allowed to wrestle in maryland anymore or uh, <laughs> pennsylvania because our matches were so well brutal. you know sam at the beginning of the show i uh I said that, you know, you were well on your way to becoming a household word, but a couple of things sidelined you. One of the things that I mentioned was professional jealousy. Now, I know that yeah. there, there were a, a few people that, uh, that thought you were a little too over for, you know, as young as you were. Let's, let's be honest about it. You were a kid, but you were yeah. super over, brother. So, yeah, well, I had a connection with the people, you know, and they knew it. They they, they could feel what I was exactly doing. That's exactly what I'm getting at. Yep. That you're going exactly where I'm going. So what do you do in a situation where the powers that be, or at least some of the powers that be, you know, uh, are intent to hold you down and keep you, keep a thumbnail on you? What, what, how well, do you break out and, and, and create your own niche? Well, it's taking a lot of time. It looks like that's what I'm trying to do right now. No, it's just, you know, you, you get slapped in the face. You get, you know, hit back. It's like the dog that pees on the carpet. You know, they wad up the newspaper and whop it in the nose. Well, there's only so many times you're going to be able to whop it in the nose before it starts going to start, you know, chewing that, taking that paper away from you. Yeah. Well, I kept getting down, kept getting pushed back, kept getting said no, 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 no. So, hey, finally, you just, you know, walk your own way. But I got lost to addiction. You know, I got lost to alcohol. It was horrible. 
you know, because right. you don't know what to do. You don't know what to do when the paychecks stop. I mean, I, I was making, I, I guess my best year was a little, a uh, little over $400,000, but I yeah. had a lot of road expenses as well, you know? Sure. Uh, but you get used to those paychecks and then those, you know, $10,000 paycheck there, you know, they aren't coming every week and then you fall. But, but but you still think oh you're still holding on to that Superman image. Well, I don't have to hold on to a Superman image. I am who I am. I am. I do what I say. Yeah. Nowadays, uh, you know, I, when I was down in Florida a couple years ago, what uh, 2016, I lost everything again in the floods, and that ain't the last time. What a week ago, last Thursday night, tornado. Picked up my trailer in North Texas, shook it around, threw it around, flipped it twice. So hmm. I just saw a picture. I've got to make a trip. I got to get the money together and make a trip to Texas to see if I have anything salvageable. I'm here in the Carolinas. I've I've been offered a television show called Fulfilling the Needs, trying to help people. I've been helping some uh, handicapped ladies during the, with their homes during these uh, this COVID stuff. Yeah, through the church. And I'll be uh, working on an, uh, another house tomorrow for the church, you know, uh, yeah. but, uh, but help people with their, their ramps, whatever I can do, you know, uh, but I got to make a Texas and, and, but this, this I'll, I'm, I'm getting a television show that that's going to showcase what I'm doing to try to help people. That's, you know, I got a friend. That's beautiful. I got a friend. His name is James Harris. Uh, people might remember him as Kamala. Oh, He's sure. Absolutely. He's lost both of his legs to diabetes, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and he's on dialysis now like three times a week. Well, yeah. you know, a lot of promoters said they were going to help him and do things for him and everything else. I talked to him, and he hadn't had any help. You know, yeah, and he's I barely know. getting up. So I'm making these cedar tables now, um, uh, and, and then and, and there's a girl in, in St. Louis. I'm making these cedar tables now, and if people buy them, all the proceeds – who go to James Harris and, um, and, uh, Oh, Amber, I'm sorry. Uh, Amber sites there in, uh, uh, St. Louis. Yeah. You know? Actually, Sam, we're going to show some of your, we're, we're actually going to show some of your table and, uh, and, and, uh, woodworking, uh, crafts, uh, within the show. And, uh, oh, of course we, you know, on the video, on the video format of our show, I'm also going to include uh, your link in the description if people want to get a hold of you for custom work. Yeah, that'd be great. Now, uh, the fellas that I'm, I'm working with right now, uh, and we've been together now for about three weeks, they're really uh, great. It's big pop productions. They're the, the new marketers that I'm working with uh, here in the Carolinas. I met them through another friend of mine. Uh and uh, they just went nuts. Uh, they're, they've done, uh, oh, I guess, the Steve Wilco show and, and things like that. So they want to yeah. start producing. They've got me started off with Patreon. Um, they're just putting it all together now. They're yeah. linking up the bank account so people can help. I want people to know that if they purchase a picture, a T-shirt, any sort of merchandise from me, I don't take all that money. 
Right. I don't take but a small portion of that money. The rest of it goes to fulfilling the needs for people, whether it's my music CDs, uh, whether it's the, the uh, autographed 8 by 10 pictures, T-shirts, whatever you want, any, anything like that, uh, because folks do need help. I can't do it all. But absolutely. Well, help. there are there are a it great number it, it of people that will help. Yeah. And we will certainly do our part. A hundred thousand dollar check. You know, it's not the oh, guy sure. that can always write. It. You know, it's it's the person who puts two dollars and 40 cents in the in the in the plate or a dollar here or five dollars here or twenty dollars here. Um, you know, I don't want something that I, I, you know, oh gosh, I don't want something that people can't afford. Absolutely. I, I'm not trying to burden anyone. I'm trying to burden anyone. But if somebody feels that they want to offer a gift, yes, let me humbly accept your gift and put it where it needs to go. Absolutely. You know? I'm going to ask everybody just to hang on for a second. We got to, we're up on the one hour mark. I got to do our. Our uh, sponsor's uh, ad, we have a brand new sponsor, Manscaped.com. So, uh, you guys, you know, uh, you've been with me a while. You know, lately, life has been nuts, to be honest. It's even been hard to get out of the sack. But now, as we all head back onto the field of life, with the help of Manscaped's men personal grooming supplies, it's a whole new ball game. And we're going forward, balls to the wall. Manscaped.com, enter promo code Wrestling Future for a generous discount. We want to thank the, the people at Manscaped, uh, particularly Kyle, our friend Kyle. Thank you for your sponsorship. We uh, are looking forward to a happy and healthy working relationship. That's Manscaped.com, promo code Wrestling Future. For a very, very handsome discount. All right. Having said that, Mike Messier. Yes. We go from male grooming supplies <laughs> right to Sam me. Houston. <laughs> you give me the pitch. Well, Sam, I, I wanted to give you the opportunity. I, I mean, we could definitely have you on again because so many questions about your career I would have. You're coming back Thursday night, right? Well, yeah, you're coming yes, back Thursday there you go. But, but Sam, I, I want to give you the opportunity for young wrestlers out there who, although the business may not be like the 1980s or 1990s with the temptations of the road quite as much, but there's still enough temptations out there for these young people, uh, young athletic people. Uh, and there's a lot more, you know, young women in the business now. How, what would you advise them to to kind of keep the straight and narrow as much as possible, uh, to stay clean, to stay healthy, to not go down the roads that might lead to some type of trouble uh, in their personal lives. What would you say to these young folks? I'm going to tell you, and this is the exact way I would tell them. And I would, I would first ask them, are you serious about this business? And if they told me they were, I'd want to sit them down and I'd tell them, this is the greatest business in the world, but it takes everything. It takes all of you. If this is your dream in life, if this is what you want your destiny to be, if this is what you want to do, if you want to reach for the stars, not play around, not play acting and not just walk around with a stick up your butt, 
But if you really want to find you and you want to do it, then you've got to give it your all. You can't be second best. You have to go one step further than everybody else. Absolutely. Nice. Absolutely. um, The best, one of the best compliments I ever got, and I found this again, I remembered this in prison, and this is what helped me. I was coming back from the ring one night in Philadelphia, and Paul Ellering, precious Paul Ellering, the Road Warriors manager, stopped me, and he said, Sam, he goes, I just love watching your matches. And I said, oh, thanks. Well, why? And he goes, because you always go that one step further to make make me believe. Well, I lost that. I lost that in my 19-year-old, 19-year-long addiction to alcohol. I lost that desire to go one step further. I became complacent. I could still go out there and have the best match on the card because I was one hell of a performer. I didn't have to try. So I quit reaching. I did just enough to get by. And I did that for a lot of years. And it wasn't until I found myself in prison to go out there when I, after that big fight I was in at the maximum security place, I got moved to Jay Levy Dabity, a class A trustee camp where you got to go outside the prison gates and work. Now I worked hard for nine months on the road crew, paving roads, putting culverts in, whatever I had to do to keep the parish roads open. You know, and that's where I found that because all the other inmates were, oh, man, don't do that. Don't do you make us look bad. Well, I wasn't there to make them look bad. I was there to make myself do to drive myself and push myself and to be that champion that I once was. Exactly. I'm not going to accept and I'm not going to accept being less than I can for my maker. My maker has brought me through this. The almighty has brought me through all these trials and tribulations in my life for a reason. My trials and tribulations and and everything that I've gone through this life has been for you to see if I can help you. If you have issues, if you have problems, you can lean on me. I'll listen. Absolutely. That's amazing. Beautiful. Well said. Well said. Well said indeed. Well, well guys, said I'm really indeed. looking forward to Thursday night. Yeah, we are too, Sam. I'll tell you what, this we're just getting warmed up. You know, I tell you what, one final wrestling question. Now, you know, in, in the, the days here, uh hopefully the last days of the empty arena era. We, we hope, anyway, we hope that people will be back soon. Do you follow the product at all today, today's wrestling? Um, not really. I follow what I'm going to be involved with, you know, uh, in, in right. the things I do. I kind of like touch base, but it's kind of like when I was wrestling. I didn't like to know who I was going to wrestle before I got to the arena like that night, yeah. you know. Why worry about it? Why spend your day, you know? Oh, you got Abdullah. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, I got 30 minutes to like try to figure this out instead of spending two days, you know? Yeah. Um, so, well, yeah, I mean, um, given, yeah, I, I was just going to say, you know, given that there's, uh, you know, NXT and AEW, of course, you know, Raw and SmackDown, would a company like Jim Crockett succeed in today's market? I think uh, if they kept it, uh, kept it on the ground. 
And that's what's going to have to happen is a rebirth of wrestling. You've had acrobatics and this, that, and the other, and a gymnastics show for so long now that people don't know, people have forgotten what wrestling is. When you bring it back to competition between two boots, pushing it out on the ground, that's when you're going to get the people involved again. Not yeah. through all the high, you know, it's kind of like, have you ever noticed now all you hear if you're watching on TV is, ha, ha. Yeah, exactly. Ha. Okay. You don't hear that. Go, man, go, go, man, go. Yeah. Go, man. You know, you don't hear that build up anymore. I know. Spot after spot after spot. There's no time to build. It's not until they get down to where they can start building again and people start believing in a hold again. You snatch somebody in a, a chicken wing and they're going to scream. You know? Yeah. You're going to have to bring it back to that. You're going to have to bring it back to that with uh, with the introduction of MMA and everything like that. So now you've got, oh, this one's real and this one's fake. You know, there's, a, there's just as much... Uh, you know, dressing room hoopla, you know, in the uh, MMA. Uh, yeah, I, I've been on events where they disqualify guys because he hit a guy three times in the face. I was like, yeah, well, that's what MMA is supposed to be about. Oh, these are amateurs, they can't get hurt. And I'm sitting here and I go ask the promoter, I said, What's going on? You got all amateurs on your card, you got two guys that you're paying, so who's getting messed over, you know? Exactly. That's a great point. Great point. Yeah, I'm going for a night of the fights. Oh, you can't hit him more than you know twice. If you knock him down and he don't get up, you you know, well, that's kind of defeats the purpose of what you come there for. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Exactly. Really. Right. So I'll tell you what. Thursday night, Sam. I'll tell you what I want to do when I when I bring it back Thursday. Want to talk a lot more about wrestling, uh, and I. I'm glad that we uh, we talked about your testimony and opened uh, people's eyes, ears, and hearts uh, to uh, to your invite of salvation, and um, certainly needed, especially in these days and times. And uh, and I, I encourage you to continue that message. Uh, and so on the next show, we'll uh, we'll continue that line of of thought. But I want to also talk a little bit more about the the wrestling you were involved in. Sure. Oh, okay, so we'll do that. You just threw a hook out there a while ago. You said salvation. I'd like your listeners, or however y'all can do it, or something. If you can play it for for your listeners, or if they can uh, look for it themselves. If you'll go to YouTube, type in the word salvation, and Sam Houston, my video will come out. I wrote this song about uh, the night I got saved, the first three verses, the night I got saved, I wrote the last verse in prison. Uh, two years ago, I went to a, a Grammy award-winning studio down in uh, Florida, and with what was my, my buddy, my, my brother in Christ, uh, Kim Close put the music to it, and we recorded uh, my song. It, it takes three minutes. I hope it empower you. I hope it'll... It'll, uh, I hope it'll inspire you and encourage you. Well, I'll tell you Uh, what, Sam, if you'll, uh, if you will allow me to, what I'd like to do is, uh, include that link in our description here so they can go while they're watching your interview here, they can uh, listen to your interview and, uh, and hear your, uh, your, your music video. Yeah, that'd be great. However y'all want to do it. I'm, I'm, 
Yeah, I'm not real computer literate or nothing like that. I turned a computer off with a ball peen hammer one time. It cost me eight hundred dollars. <laughs> you know, I got a lot of personal satisfaction out of it. And there was, I did, you know, there was a half a bottle of Crown Royal involved in making that decision. So I'm certain. Well, when you run, I can't remember that wall, that brick wall of death is what they call it, or something. Some maze that you never get through. So that ball peen hammer looks real good. <laughs> oh man, I'll tell you what. I'm looking forward to our our the second conversation on Thursday night. Look, really looking forward yeah, to it. All right, guys. Y'all have a blast. Thank you, evening. my brother. All right. Take bye-bye. care. Thank you. Good night, Sam. Night, night. All right. That was a great interview. I'll tell you what, you know, if there's any doubt as to whether this is the same Sam Houston, he is very much the same guy, but a very different man. Thank goodness. I understand that. Thank goodness. Uh, Dan, what did you think? Your first uh, first opportunity to interview Sam? I thought it was great. Uh, I, I was The two things I took away from it was the story behind the, the obviously I wanted to ask him about the Bulldog because I stand by that. That wasn't fluffing up the crowd. That Legit, he's the prettiest Bulldog I've ever seen oh, yeah. in wrestling. And so many guys today, it is ugly and it's bad. But and then I think what what also he kind of mentioned it in passing was it was Dusty Rhodes that came up with the Sam Houston moniker. I, I think that's a yeah. really neat tidbit. Yeah, you know, and he mentioned it during the show. His real name is Michael Smith. Yes, Michael Maurice Smith, actually, born nineteen sixty three. It's funny because he calls himself older than dirt. He's younger than I am. <laughs> uh, well, you know. Yeah, so what is it's, that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. K- kayfabe, Angelo. Gotta keep kayfabe. That's a smart, smart co-host. Smart co-host. <laughs> so, Mike Messier. Talk uh, to you, my friend. Well, it's just, it's great to hear from Sam. He sounds like he's in a real good place right now. And, yeah. uh, you know, these, these wrestlers, um, for young fans today, they may not realize that you know, the 1980s, a lot of people call that decade the cocaine decade. Yeah. And, and, and maybe that was more in the disco scene or the, the rock club scene. But the wrestlers had their share of temptations, as we respectfully oh call them. Yeah. So Yeah, big time. The decade whenever, of excess. Right. So whenever you see a guy like, like Sam or even his half-brother, Jake the Snake, come out of that thing as survivors, it makes you appreciate them all that more because... We lost a lot of good talent. We lost Mr. Perfect. Yeah. We lost Rick Rude. Um, I think the one thing, though, Mikey, that you, you, uh, you, you're kind of touching on, and I like to, because um, I'll turn, turn it back over to you, but the one thing that we're kind of dancing around is that, you know, um, Sam's brother, Jake the Snake Roberts, mm-hmm. his father, Grizzly Smith, and Sam himself have all had substance and alcohol issues substance right. abuse issues and alcohol yes but it starts with i mean if you're going to blame anybody and not that you want to blame anyone but you know let's be honest about it you know grizzly smith was a you know he was a rough guy you know he yeah. ru- he lived rough and he drank hard and he he everything was in excess you i guess being you know 
you know, uh, a young Michael Smith, or for the sake of the conversation, a young Sam Houston, young Jake Roberts, you know, you got to kind of look to the oak tree to see where the acorns are. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And uh, uh, fortunately, you know, Robin uh, never partook in that, that, that we know of, but she's pretty straight laced, you know, and she was, and smart by the way, mm-hmm. you know, clearly smarter than both of her brothers. Uh, and maybe because she learned a lesson from her father. Well, one know? thing, if I had to add, you know, something that we, we touched upon with Lanny Poffo and his relationship with his older brother, Randy, but yeah. Sam Houston and Jake, the snake Roberts, unless you read, you know, Meltzer or pro wrestling illustrated or something like that, you would have no idea that Sam Houston and Jake the Snake were brothers based on what you saw on TV. Exactly. And you, you'd have Good no point. idea that they were uh, brothers to the woman's champion, Rocket Robin. And I just, yeah. in an alternate universe, can you imagine if they had played up some type of evil brother, uh, good good guy brother, uh, Sam Houston is the baby face a white meat baby face, younger yeah. brother, and Jake the Snake is the corrupt older brother. Well, and his sister and you know what? That's that's really creative booking. It's classic booking, but it's really creative because let's be honest about it. Sam really was a baby face. If you yeah. look, if you look at his the photo behind me, yep. I mean, he he's he looks like a kid. Yeah. Now, by contrast, look at Jake, who in his 20s looked like a grizzled vet. Right. Yeah. You know? well, and it's funny to think, too, with as as over as both of those two were. Yeah. And th- that would have been money. I mean, I, oh I think the God, Dan, the only, are you kidding me? The only time I've ever seen Sam Houston wrestle live, he wrestled Barry Horowitz. Of, and that match got a huge reaction. I mean, here's two, two guys that were base. I mean, Sam Houston was, was kind of falling down the card at the time. And Barry Horowitz was the jobber to the stars. Here's yeah. two guys that the crowd shouldn't have cared about, but you had Sam Houston who was still over and Barry Horowitz who always put on the good matches and they were over. You put him in against yeah. somebody like a Jake Roberts with a good story. That is a money sure. feud right there. Oh my God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Did it again, Mike. Better writer yeah. than they had 20, 30 years ago. And I know, and I was only, uh, I was not even born yet. But um, yeah. just, just it, it is one of those things, guys, where the lesson that I think maybe we can share with the young people, because we have a lot of veteran fans listening, but a lot of young fans are probably picking up on the show. Learn these they lessons. Are. Even if you don't become a professional wrestler or an entertainer of any kind, Learn the lessons that these wrestlers have. When you have your youth on your side and you have that young uh, physical prowess in you, that's when, if your mind is right, that's when you can hit gold. But if your mind is off and clouded, whether it's substances or other distractions, then you're going to not, as Robin Williams would say in Dead Poet Society, you're not going to be able to seize the day. Exactly. Any thoughts, Dan? Uh, I mean, Mike nailed it on the head. Uh, I think Sam gets all the credit in the world for what he's come out of. Mike mentioned a few names. There's people that have been through a hell of a lot less and and didn't come out of it. I mean, his 
bio mentions something along the lines of two to three DUIs a year for like a decade. Oh God. Yeah. And I mean, that's, and I'm not saying that to be critical. I'm saying that is, he mentioned himself 19 years of addiction. And I tell you what, Dan, I, I talked to Sam in prepping for this interview. I spoke to him about three weeks ago because you know, and I'm sure you know by now, I always talk to the guests before they come on the show yes. to see if there's anything off limits, anything they don't want to talk about. And to his credit, I got and I want to tell people, he said, everything is on the table. We can talk about anything you want. We could talk about my DUIs, jail, uh, the trouble I've been in, uh, whatever. Whatever you guys want to talk about, go for I it. I mean, we, we always... It, what's really separated us from a lot of the other wrestling podcasts out there is the human side. And I mean, we just heard for the last hour, here's a guy pouring his soul out and the humanization of a character. I mean, he talked about jail and, and alcohol and issues and finding God. And I mean, you, you couldn't, you couldn't write no, no pun intended, Mikey, you couldn't write a script that, that like that, for exactly. what, he, what he achieved at his young age to lose it and find it again. It's, a, yeah. it's an incredible story, and he deserves all the credit in the world for it. Absolutely. Well Amen said. to that. Well, Mikey. Yep. Plug Mike Messier. MikeMessier.com for all your needs, wants, and desires of the Mike Messier realm. Uh, very happy to be wearing the Shad Gaspard shirt from Collar and Elbow, which is Al Snow's group. Um, looking forward to our continued relationship with Manscaped and, and yes. good, good job, Angelo on slam dunk and that, uh, and I know you had some help from me basically. Yes, of course. <laughs> but, Can uh, you let me put you over one, just one time? Never. <laughs> but, um, Thank as far God. as I go, guys, I'm, I'm working on scripts. Um, we're still in this. You know, work on humility. <laughs> uh, I haven't learned uh, how do you spell it? I need my spell check, but just happy to be here, guys, and and uh, looking forward to listening to that part two on oh, Thursday. Man. And a lot of good things are coming the way for the Wrestling with the Future podcast family. Oh yeah, big time, absolutely. And Dan, how about us? Tell everybody where they can find all of our stuff. All right, well, I'll uh, I'll see if I can't plug without taking credit for something. We're uh, we're on obviously why not everybody else does hey mike mike mikey's never seen never seen a word he can't take credit for right mikey <laughs> that's right uh wrestling with the future we're on on facebook wrestling with the future podcast we're on twitter at wrestling future that's no g wrestling future i personally am on twitter the man underscore wwtf for those watching the channel don't forget to like share subscribe buy the t-shirt and look forward to many great future shows Tell everybody the shirts are $20 each, two for 30. They are large, extra large, and 2X. We are available in special order sizes for the three and bigger. So we have them available. Um, Again, if you want to friend any of us, it's Dan Sebastiano on Facebook, Mike Messier on Facebook, and I'm Angelo DeCipio on Facebook. So, for Marvelous Mike, for Dan the Man, I'm Psychic Medium Angelo. We'll see you next time, everybody, with part two of Sam Houston. Good night and happy wrestling. Bye-bye.